Before we get to this week's podcast, I want to tell you about Digiday Plus. This is our membership program, and that gets you Digiday Magazine, a steady stream of exclusive research and exclusive events, as well as our Digiday Plus Slack community where we have uh, regular town halls. It's a lot of fun. Sign up. It is only $395 a year, and for you, our podcast listeners, we have a discount. Enter the code PODCAST at checkout, and you will get 10% off. Please sign up at our website, digiday.com. Brand is more important than it's ever been. Companies that grew up with passerby readers are dead. And if you don't have a consumer who's actively looking for your content, it is very difficult to build ancillary business models. If you look at what Snapchat's doing with advertising and storytelling, it's clear that digital can be more than the thing that we think it is. Welcome to Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Marcy, Editor-in-Chief of Digiday. I am joined by Brian Goldberg, the CEO of Bustle Digital Group. Brian, welcome. Thank you for having me. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think this is my fourth time doing this. I think it's been every November for about four years Yeah, no, this is like a regular, um, it's a regular occurrence. And uh, you sent me an email and you're like, when are you going to have me on to talk about how successful my business is? That's not how I remember it. (laughs) That's how I remember it. I remember you saying, Brian, if you could just make yourself for 30 minutes just any time that works for you works for <laughs> no, me no but it actually worked really well because a lot of stuff happened in the news lately um that has caused people to do their the the regular um you know thing that digital media is collapsing because mm-hmm. um mashable got sold for 50 million when it raised like 46 million vice missed its targets buzzfeed missed its targets um and then suddenly somehow the wall street journal got a hold of your financials that you're doing you're killing it intrepid reporting at the wall street journal i I know i i uh picked of all the days to to walk into the the famed and 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 tough digitate podcast i i picked an interesting week and i i had a feeling you'd have a list that probably could have been longer if you had so subjected me to it of of maybe bad news or or there's a ton of bad news let's call them talking points some talking points that that are out there right now it's uh you know look it's we're, we're a couple weeks away from from the holidays here, so it's sort of the last chance for everyone to get in their uh, both their predictions for next year and their sort of retrospectives on this year, and to kind of try to get a hold of everyone's numbers and figure out who's winning and who's losing. I would say it's look, I, I'm pretty sober to the fact that the last week, the the last ten days, there's been a lot of news out there, and I don't think very much of that news is going to paint digital media as you know, quote unquote, winning right now. Mm-hmm. There's no hashtag winning going around, but. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone is losing. And and I think what's happened and what's become clear the last few weeks, the last few months is is not that, you know, BuzzFeed, quote unquote, had a bad year or that Vice is having a bad year. I just think we're hitting a point where expectations are being rationalized a little bit. And, and some of these companies that that I actually think had good years and, and you know, BuzzFeed had a growth year. Not, not every venture back company had a, a good right. growth year. But, but, you know, exp- people are sort of feeling out expectations right now. And I think people are realizing that digital media is a really good business, but it's not necessarily the type of business that you inject $500 million of capital into as though it were, you know, 2012-era Groupon or 2016-era mm-hmm. Blue Apron. Or, you know, I think the problem, and I've said this for a while, is the very concept of, quote-unquote, hockey stick growth, this idea that you can or should or should need to double and triple your revenue every year or, or put up 
triple digit revenue growth every year. I, I don't know that's very healthy for most businesses. Did you tell you, um, your venture capitalist this or well, subsequently? Don't, here's the thing. After the term w- sheet got signed? Words don't matter. Actions are what matter. So I could come on here and tell right. you no, 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 anything. But, but that's true. But like the what you're saying is BuzzFeed and Vice had good years. Yeah. But they did not have good years against the expectations Correct. that they had That's my signed their names mm-hmm. to, if, mm-hmm. if all that is accurate. Well, look, I, I don't know one way or the other, and I, and you know, I have no inside information. I, I, from you know, my sense that they had good years, and maybe people expected blowout years year after year. I think that when you raise that kind of capital, when you raise four hundred, five hundred million, you know, in the case of vice billions, you, imp- you know explicitly or implicitly sign up for a trajectory and those kind of capitalizations you're signing up for a like i said quote unquote hockey stick growth and i think our industry is a great industry uh, you know we put up real revenue numbers we put, we have real business models and i don't know that digital media is suited for the sort of you know 5x annual growth that you saw in you know airbnb or that you saw in some of these um you know some of these 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 app companies, you know, like Uber and Lyft. I just don't. So you grew like 50% this year. Yeah, I mean, we, we had a great year and, and I'm very proud of the year. I'm proud of the year across the board. You know, editorially, we did some great things in video as well. I'm here to talk, of course, about the business, but 50% is, you know, a great growth year in any business, including this one. And if you look at our history, forget anything I've said in the past. Look did at you my, make your numbers? Was is that? Yeah, like, I mean, we. I'm not the type of guy who's going to go out there and say we're going to. I'm not a flashy fundraiser. If you look at our fundraise history, I haven't raised that much money compared to our peers. I've raised maybe a tenth as much as BuzzFeed or Vox or those guys. I've raised way less than Refinery Twenty Nine. I've set lower expectations, and not because I don't believe in our business. I believe profoundly in our business and we're doing great but i just don't want to go out and tell the world that this is a business that triples every year because i don't want to put that expectation mm-hmm. on myself and and frankly not on my team either who has had a great year and 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 honestly we deserve to celebrate this year my team deserves to celebrate a great growth year and not say well, why didn't you do 200% growth why didn't you do 100% growth I don't think that's a healthy expectation to set. And at the end of the day, everything is a function of expectations. But your investors signed up for those expectations, Mm -hmm. not like some pie in the sky. Well, we've never overvalued. I mean, I I don't ever disclose valuations and I never celebrate them. And, And I think as a second time media founder, one lesson I've learned is the battle is not to get the highest VC valuation. The battle is to win. The battle is to build something valuable, perhaps sell, perhaps IPO, but... You want to kind of conserve your energy. This is a marathon, not a sprint. And if you look at where we are right now, at the end of 2017, we are one of the very, very few digital media companies that's in a position to raise more capital and specifically to go buy other digital media companies or legacy media companies who are struggling right now. Why are we in a unique position to do that? It's because we paced ourselves, we didn't over-raise, we didn't over-value, and we didn't overset expectations. And... You know, during the sort of heady days of 2015, 2014, was I in a position to go raise a big check from a big name VC at a valuation that was way ahead of our skis? Yes, that those opportunities were open to me. If you look at our fundraise history, we raised reasonably small venture rounds. I mean, the last one, um, we've never raised a round of even $20 million. So we've raised smaller rounds more frequently. 
Uh, we've kept our valuations reasonable. And now we are in a position, if we so choose, to go buy some of our competitors because we have kept everything in line. We've kept everything in line mm-hmm. with expectations. And I have so but you're many- so you're in growth mode. You're not trying to to expand profit margins. We I so I do think it's important not to be burning cash right now. I think there is a little bit of right now of, you know, staying alive. And we've seen a few people who have not been able to quote unquote stay alive um and, and have had to sell at at prices they might be disappointed with. Um I do think cash management is important. I think you do have to be careful and I think you have to demonstrate that you can grow revenue while keeping your costs rational. So I do think I do think investors and acquirers are going to be looking for profits or at least a very clear path to profitability. We have not burned really. I mean, we've had a couple profitable months. We haven't really been burning. We've been where we've burned it's been in terms of things like acquisitions like Elite Daily, which went very well for us. So we've been very careful and cautious. But to answer your question, no, you should not be burning $30 million this year mm-hmm. on a path to, to hypergrowth. That is not where the market is right now. Is your sense that there are more Mashables to come? I think that there, there are going to be winners and losers. And I think that the things that will define who wins and who loses are very much a function of decisions being made right now, primarily capitalization decisions, primarily business decisions. I think that... What are those decisions? Well, the first one, like I said, is is expectations. What expectations have mm-hmm. you set? How much have you raised? I think that, you know, there's only one thing about your company, if you're a CEO and a founder of a media company, that you can never fix. And that is if you mess up your cap structure. It is, it is essentially, if done improperly, it is a death warrant. And if you capitalize with the wrong investors at the wrong price at the wrong time, you can't undo that. There's no, what is it, control mm-hmm. Z, edit, undo <laughs> for mismanaging how and when and at what price you raise your money. And, you know, it can be frustrating for everyone in the company. This is, these are companies with hundreds, sometimes thousands of people working so hard and doing such great work editorially, great salespeople, great, great, uh, you know, finance people. These companies are very complex. There's a lot of great people who make up these media companies and all of their hard work is undermined if one mistake is made from a capitalization standpoint if the ceo bungles a fundraise it can destroy it can put the company in an impossible situation explain for those of us who have not raised money um explain what that looks like when you bungle the cap table well i mean you want for example I'll, i'll tell you what i think you ought to do um you ought to have a great mix of investors, both strategic and financial. So, you know, we're lucky in media because a lot of the biggest media investors like Hearst and Time Warner and Comcast have very experienced, sophisticated venture investors. We're lucky to have that in our industry. A lot of industries don't have that. We also have, you know, if you look at our investors, we have some great, you know, world-class VCs in it. You want a nice mix of strategic and non-strategic for different reasons. Strategic investors are very helpful in a lot of ways, but if you get in a pinch and you need three million dollars tomorrow you know a comcast hearst or time warner may not be able to get you that capital within 24 hours because they're a big multinational conglomerate Mm -hmm. whereas a venture investor can be useful because they have more independence and you know one thing i fear for some of the um some of the the bigger venture back media companies right now is they've raised a lot of money from strategics in some cases you know 80 90 percent of the capital they've raised is from big strategic media companies, some of whom themselves are B 
being bought or sold right now. And they're not going to be in a position to provide those companies with flexibility. So um, I'm not going to name names, but if if all of your investment is from big strategics, you may not have the flexibility that a venture back company has. There's That's just one of 10 things that can mm-hmm. happen to you. So it sounds like you're saying, I mean, this is not a story about the evils of venture capital. No. I mean, sometimes it's it's sort of painted that way. It's, and, and, and the good news is, and I'm, I'm actually very optimistic on this industry, I think BuzzFeed and Vox and Vice, Refinery29, the ones who have raised, you know, nine-figure capital, I think these companies are very good companies, and I think they're going to do great. I think that, you know, there is a balancing of expectations versus what's been raised versus what growth is to come. And I think that just, we're in a balancing phase right now. I don't, you know, and let's face it, media reporters sometimes like to play the doom and gloom card, and they like to... Never. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't not, know what you're talking about. I'm right? not picking on you, Brian, but I'm saying, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's more fun to talk about, you know, the you know the D-Day and, and doom and gloom than it is. Well, to, that's the way it is in anything. It is, but I think, you know, media is a little harder on media. Um, I think these are very good companies. I think, you know, Bustle Digital Group has had a fantastic year. I think others have had good years. I think we are at a moment, we are, we are resetting expectations a little bit, and maybe... You know, maybe some of these companies have to grow into their valuation for another year. And to that end, they're going to, you know, not make any big, exciting moves in the next year. That's fine. What's wrong with that? Mm-hmm. I just I just think it's there is some expectation going game going on. But there's also people who need to kind of under better understand the expectations they set, how they're gonna achieve those goals. And these are smart CEOs. I mean, the, the CEOs people have been talking about for the last few years, the Shanes, the Jonas, Jim Bankoff, these are very smart CEOs. I think they have a sense of what's going on, and I, I really think these companies are going to be fine. So all of the, everything you're reading in the news, it mm-hmm. makes for great headlines. I, I've seen a few stories where, like, literally, the 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 thumbnail or, or picture of, associated with the article is like a nuclear bomb going off. Like that is such an exaggeration of. We used what's to going we on. used to have a, a GIF of the Hindenburg. We used. Yeah, I mean, give me a break. These are good companies. These are good <laughs> CEOs. Do I think that if they could go back in time, they might have raised a little bit less or set expectations a little differently? Perhaps. But hindsight is is twenty twenty, and and you know we've taken a different approach, and I'm I'm glad we have. But but all of these companies will be fine. We're all going to exist in a few years. Okay, so not an indictment of venture capital. Is it an indictment, broadly speaking, of the so-called pivot to video? Well, I here's what my thesis has been and has been for many many years. So when we st- when I started Bleach Report in two thousand five, really in in two thousand seven, and is when we raised capital. We were, there were a lot of interesting reasons we started Bleach Report, but we really felt we needed to create some sort of substitute for the newspaper sports page. We felt there was a problem, there was something broken, and that was newspapers, local newspapers, and their sports pages. And we created a product in Bleach Report that aimed to fix that, it aimed to replace the dying uh, newspaper sports page. And we were very successful, and that company you know, sold for a lot of money and continued to do extraordinarily well. In 2012, I basically revisited the same problem. At that point, newspapers were in really bad shape, and I suspected that magazines were the next to suffer. And so I wanted to launch a company that captured, I won't say the zeitgeist, but the value proposition of magazines. And I said, look, it's 2012. I think that by 2016, 2017, magazines are going to be in a world of pain, and we need to create a property that sort of captures a lot of the value proposition that Cosmopolitan and Glamour and Seventeen and those magazines captured. And I think Bustle Digital Group did a really successful job of winning over a lot of the readers and a lot of the, the advertising customers who historically had, had spent with 
Hearst and Time and, and Condé Nast and Meredith. And we're going to ride that for a little while. I think there's still a lot more dollars to pull out of those companies. Obviously, what's going on with, with, with Time and, and that integration is, is an open question. I think there's an opportunity for the, the bustles and the refinery 29. Why or, go after magazine dollars? So you go after the TV dollars. That's where the well, money is, right? Well, I'm getting, I'm getting to, the, to the punchline <laughs> here. I think, that you, I think that TV dollars will be vulnerable in three or four more years, in 2020, in 2021. And these things don't happen as fast as you like. So what are, the, are these companies going to go on to their like Series X um, if, it's, if it's in four years? That is not a question for me to answer because I'm not one of those companies. <laughs> that, I've been well, focused. I've I'm... been in my swim lane the entire time. I've been remarkably consistent the entire time that our focus right now is on taking dollars out of print and into digital. And if you look at, you know... Well, you so- got to get the timing right, right? So, I mean, yeah. if, if you, you might pivot to video, there might be, um, you know, a Romper TV sh- network. Mm-hmm. network. We, we, are, we, did a gr- we are doing a great video series for Romper called Doula Diaries that has insane engagement on Facebook. We're really proud of that. Are we betting the whole company on it? No, but it's been a great bet and it's sure. paying off and, and we're making money on it. So, but, but it's, you know, that's a small team within a company of 225 people that did that. So video is important to our company. It's important to Romper as a brand, but um, for our listeners, Romper is our, our parenting property. Um, are we going to have half our company be video people? No, because I don't think the opportunity is there yet. I think we are slowly growing. L- last year we had... So in four years, it, it could look it very could. different. I mean, look, last but year... But you're not going to be... I remember Troy Young was on here. Yeah. He's like, I'm going to 50% is going to be making video. Things don't move that fast. Not in this industry. This is a multi-hundred billion dollar a year industry. Things don't move as fast as we would like them to. So to that end... If you look at our company, we were about 5% video heads last year, probably about 10%. I think it's 22, 23 people out of 225. And maybe next year it increases a little bit. We're taking our time. Right now I'm focused on how do we bring dollars out of print into digital, and we're probably going to go out and try and buy some magazine companies because I think that opportunity is still on the table. So I want to talk about that, but I want to talk about one other indictment. (laughs) So one of the other sort of indictments that's been around is of this ad-driven media model. That the idea it's, that you know you need to go back to that you're like clenching your fist. Yeah, because it pisses me. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't like this conversation. I think <laughs> if you if you cannot accept that advertising is what drives the media business, then get out of the media business. You know, we live in a world where you know we're we're, we're lucky enough to be participating in like like I said a. Depending on how you measure it, but you're in lifestyle media. Billion so dollar in, in lifestyle in lifestyle media, it's going to have to be ad driven for the most part. Right. Well, yeah, and that's but the news industry is in a pickle because um, you know they just it doesn't get the same news. Same rates. News can be tough, and it's especially tough when the stuff happening in the news is fairly, to put it mildly, unpleasant right now. Um, you know, a lot of brands don't want their their brands next to you know the president or North Korea or some of the the stuff that's happening um, in workplaces around the country. Look. News is tough, and if you look at, you know, if you look at the biggest media companies, you know, I don't know what percentage of their revenue is from the news vertical, but but a lot, you know, the New York Times and others have made a lot of money from lifestyle. Right. So you're That's not a so secret. Y- yes. So you're saying the ad-driven model. I mean, because you do not have subscriptions. We is, don't, and and my thesis is it is going to be very difficult to get young people to pay very much money for content. I think that's going to be very difficult. We live in a world where young people are, are not only cutting the cord, a lot of them aren't willing to pay whatever 12 bucks a month for Netflix. 
Young people don't have the disposable income their parents did because they're paying 50000 a year for college, 3000 a month rent. They're up to their eyes in debt. They Being young is really expensive right now. And so paying $150 a month for cable for many is out of the question. And even the 12 bucks a month for Netflix is tough for some people. So no, do I think I'm going to get 19-year-olds, 22-year-olds, 24-year-olds to pay me $10 a month for even the greatest mm-hmm. content ever? No, I don't think young people are inclined to spend money so on So that content. means the ad model for yes, the most part. Correct. And so how do you make the ad model work when what we're seeing is like people load on so much ads so that people use ad blockers and mm-hmm. then they have to use more ads? Well, there needs to be some self-policing there. I mean, that's a totally different conversation. I mean, I think that all publishers need to chill out a little bit and, and realize that ad load and, and cramming ads is, is not going to get you where you need to go. The, the real answer to your question, though, is consolidation. Revenue, in my opinion, isn't the issue here. Like, we look at our revenue this year, which which was a substantial number, you know, over $45 million. You look at these numbers they're talking about for BuzzFeed. I don't even know what the, the 250, 300 million Vox, well in the nine figures, refinery, well in the nine figures. These are really high revenue numbers. The issue is if, if people, if, if investors want to see profits, then we need to consolidate costs. And that doesn't mean letting go of creative talent because that's why people come to the site. There's just a lot of back office, a lot of fixed cost, just office space. You know, if you have an office in New York, you're paying a lot of money for that. You could be consolidating those offices. You know, no, no offense to our company's lawyers, but we don't need to all have our own lawyers. <laughs> you know, we pay a lot of money in legal fees as an independent media company. So do you. So does every media company. What if you were consolidated and had only one lawyer for 10 media brands? There is so much consolidation you can do without even necessarily touching any creative or editorial roles, just from back office, just from fixed costs. And we, and part of our huge success with Elite Daily was we consolidated a lot of costs, more mm. than we thought we could, and still are able to continue producing content, great content, at, at the same pace we were before. We saved a lot of money from, I don't want to pick on, you know, accountants and, and finance and legal and, and IT roles, but... There was a lot of consolidation there in the back office that turned what what had previously been a financially struggling media brand into one that's going to be very profitable for us next year. Consolidation has to happen. It needs to happen right now. We don't have a revenue problem. So you want to be a consolidator, not a consolidated. Correct. I I think that look if there you know so if 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 not me then whom. I think that's right. If not me, then who? If not me, then whom? I, I think my, my writers at, at Bustle are going to yell at me. I, I probably got that one wrong. But, you know, I'm perfectly willing to do this because, one, we have access to capital. And, two, we haven't, you know, overcapitalized up till now. But, three, someone has to do it. There is an imperative. And when there's an imperative... So what's your playbook? Set- what is your playbook? Because, I mean, you, you, you took Elite Daily, which I would say... I don't know. From the outside, I would say it was like a bit of a distressed that asset at that point. Um, and then you're saying mm-hmm. you made it into well, it's, 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 it's doing very well for us. Elite, I've always been a huge fan of Elite Daily. When the, when the opportunity to buy came along, I was pretty excited. We bought it. It's doing really great for us right now. And Took it off the hands of Daily Mail. Daily they Mail. wrote down a ton. Right? Yeah, I can't speak to their, their accounting. What I can speak to is that was something we want to do more of. It's is buying assets out of traditional media companies where they come to us and say, hey, you know, we think you could do a great job running this digital asset out of our portfolio. Do you want to take this on and run it inside of Bustle Digital Group? And that's when we brought our name to Bustle Digital Group because we had several properties. You know, I'm, I would love to, in the next year, work with a, I don't want to use the word legacy, but an existing magazine company, buy one or two of their titles and help move those titles from print to digital. 
A lot of them are already online, but they haven't really made the big bet on digital or the big transition, especially from mm -hmm. a business standpoint. A lot of these classic magazine titles are still 80, 90% print advertising revenue. They haven't had sort of a window or a team to make the sort of sudden overnight jump from print focus to digital focus. That's what I want to mm -hmm. do. And, and I still believe... So you could make Rolling Stone profitable. That's, that, that is an example of a magazine. Um, it's, it's a magazine that I think has so much... Uh, cultural value, you know, they're they're in a in a process. I I'm not going to say one way or another if it's something we're looking at, but that's a perfect example of of a great asset that really means something to people that um, is in the process of journeying from print to digital. And I think that our company could be a great partner for someone like them, or or for many of these titles. I mean, you look at what's happening with Time and Meredith right now. The guess right now is that Meredith is not going to keep all those titles. There's a lot of great. Uh, journalists, a lot of great writers at many of those time publications, you know, when the dust settles on that, I'd love to be one of the companies that acquires one or many of those titles. So, but a lot of them have a print legacy. I would think that you would not want any part of that. Well, I think the hardest days, they're not over for print, but I think a lot of the decline has already happened. And I think you just have to have someone who's confident they can grow the digital revenue faster than the print can decline. But in a world where the print has already declined, in some cases, 50, 60, 70%, a lot of the hardest days are behind us. And now it's a question of, can someone buy these and grow? And frankly, buying, you know, some of these magazines out of these bigger companies at, at you know, attractive or, or non-painful prices and transition them from print to digital. It's a challenge that is necessary. It's a challenge that will be very rewarding. And up to up till now, I haven't really seen anyone so taking this challenge. So what is the formula, broadly speaking? It seems like <clears throat> one cut costs. Yeah, I mean, on the print side, you're going to have to. I mean, it's 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 the frequencies. Have, I mean, that stuff's already underway. The frequencies yeah. are coming down. The but it sounds like you're saying they got to cut more costs than they think. Well, I mean, because there's there's one thing they're the, saying. Oh yeah, uh -huh. we're getting more efficient and stuff like this. But I, I don't think that. I, I think if you look at the, the bigger players and the bigger name magazines, the issue is they're not growing digital revenue fast enough. You know, there are a few exceptions. Um, but I think in general, when you look at the digital ad revenue for some of these classic household name brands, they're half of what they should be. They're a quarter of what they should be. Y you know, it, it, I, I think they just didn't catch up to the bustles and refinery 29s and pop sugars of the world. And I think that opportunity is still on the table. I just don't know that their current situation can be fixed. You can't so easily transition a print ad sales team into a digital ad sales team. You have to kind of rebuild it or find someone mm -hmm. who already has one. That's why I'm surprised that you would want to manage that kind of transition rather than, I mean, your biggest advantage, one of your biggest advantages was not having all of that. Like, I mean, you're going up against, yeah, some digital pure plays, but you're going up against traditional companies that are trying to manage a declining business while... while well, that, that's, that's our great advantage. That is why Bustle Digital Group is going to do this and do it successfully is we don't have to worry about our margins on print if we buy these. If we buy a magazine company, it's because we want to move on. We want to keep the print going, but we want the business to focus on digital. And if the print loses little money, that's okay. And I actually think that's healthy for the magazine industry to say, hey, we're okay losing a little bit of money on the print if it elevates the brand, if it creates um, both the perception and the reality of premium. I actually think that magazines, if done correctly, can be an asset. I, in fact, I might be preaching to the choir because I think that Digiday has a very mm -hmm. nice magazine. I'm going to yes. grab a copy on the way Please out of here. take two. But that's the thinking is, is print, if situated correctly and scaled correctly, can be an asset to digital. These companies don't, we knew print was going to decline. Everyone knew that. I knew that. You knew that. I started Bustle mm -hmm. in part because it was very easy to anticipate the decline of print ad revenue. 
Now the question is, who can build up the digital? And, you know, Time Inc. tried to do it independently. They were successful in some ways. They were unsuccessful in some ways. I think other companies, you could say the same thing. So I think the per- the best person and the best team to solve this issue for the industry is someone who really gets digital. Because the, the, the Time Inc.'s of the world, they managed the decline of print, I think, as well as they could have. I don't think there was anything they could have done very differently there. Could they have grown the digital faster? Probably. Mm-hmm. Do you think publishers spend too much time whining about the duopoly? Yes. What are you going to do about it? <laughs> I mean, look, this industry, I've said it before, media is a tough industry. Don't go into media. It's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart at all. And the fact that every time something happens, you know, there's, 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 oh, it's all over, doom and gloom, you know, chicken little. It doesn't help. You just got to ignore that stuff. And I, I tried to ignore that stuff. And I think it's, it's helpful to ignore it. But I, I think that the duopoly is, is going to get a large share. But remember, we are now moving into the age of brand advertising, and we are seeing the duopoly, especially YouTube, really stumbling around brand advertising and being a safe place for brands. Yeah. You it's know, amazing that this is coming up now. I mean, we were writing years ago about this beheading video brought to you by Nissan. Yeah, um, it's, it's well, people are paying attention now. It's, it's a bigger opportunity. Brand advertising online wasn't that big five years ago. Now it's getting bigger. It will be huge in five years. And, and it seems that that you know youtube seems to keep stumbling over its own feet and and every month now it's a new horrible thing that has brands next to it and mm-hmm. i don't know when the guys in silicon valley are going to figure out that algorithms and computers that's and problem. ai well, don't don't that, always create the best yes. brand safe experience i think that could be the the achilles heel of them in that that's not a bug that's a feature of their ad systems and just the entire system they've architected it that way it's it's a silicon valley mindset that was created to support direct response and performance advertising, it is not necessarily the best solution for brand advertising. And every month, it seems, YouTube makes another mistake and everyone's like, "Uh uh-oh. Or as I would say, oy vey, what did they do this time? And I don't know how many more chances they are going to get. I think that if YouTube continues to make mistakes and brands keep pulling advertising from YouTube, they may not get a third, fourth, fifth chance. I think that... Facebook's in a, no one's going to come on a podcast and say Facebook's not in a great position right now, but I think that we're going to watch with interest how some of these congressional antitrust conversations go. And I think that uh, Facebook could probably do a little better when they're sitting in front of Yeah, they're going to get smacked around a lot in 2018. Well, and and we're seeing, you know, we're starting to, it's been interesting as you watch the conversation on net neutrality a few years ago when that conversation first reached the national spotlight, the Googles and the Facebooks were the heroes of the world, and everyone was cheering behind them for net neutrality. Now, it's a little tougher because I think most of us are quite supportive of net neutrality, but our, our champions, the, the big tech companies that were kind of sponsoring the effort to support net neutrality, aren't necessarily viewed as the heroes anymore. And I think that the YouTubes of the world need to, you know, if they want to get that 70% or whatever the crazy number is of brand advertising, they have to win hearts and minds again. And hearts and minds, you don't just get those back right away. Mm-hmm. And I think it's going to be a serious problem. Have we seen peak duopoly, you know, in 2016, 2017? I don't know. Again, I, I think if you're an investor, putting your money in, in Google and Facebook and Amazon is probably a pretty yeah, good bet safe. right now. But, you know, nothing should be taken for granted. And, and Google and Facebook need to realize that brand safety does matter. And there is a real shot um, I, and I continue to use YouTube as an example because I think they've made the most mistakes. And I, I think Facebook needs to really change their game when it comes to Congress and, and some of those conversations and, and fess up a little bit. You know, 
they don't get these hearts and minds back necessarily. And if they do, they're going to have to earn them back. And it will be to the benefit of independent media companies. It will not help independent media companies if there's hundreds of us and we're all subscale and we don't come together. So I think a door has been opened. I think the stuff you're seeing with YouTube has opened a door for the Voxes and the Bustle Digital Groups and the refineries and the clicks and the digidays and I could go and the inverses and the group mm-hmm. nines. I could go on and on and on and name independent media companies. Group nines got a lot of money now. People need to consolidate. And 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 yes, there is a cost narrative here. And I think that's a part of the, that's one of the big ones here. But I also think there is a window now as the YouTube stumbles and as 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 Facebook yeah. meddles with Congress for quality publishers to band together and create an opportunity, an alternative to the duopoly. I really do. And I don't think I'm being overly optimistic here. I think that it is still completely TBD how Facebook and Google are going to thrive in a world of brand advertising now that they've proven to be incredibly strong solutions for performance advertising. Okay. Thanks a lot, Brian. We're going to leave it there. And thank you all for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show and to rate us. And if you like us, uh, leave a review. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, and we'll be back next week with a new episode. (laughs) 